coming up next on the Dark Winter Nights True Stories from Alaska Halloween special. I can see the room now. It's like I'm there. I remember everything that went on in that room to this day. And that's one thing that I'll never forget, ever. One woman starts having strange paranormal experiences soon after moving into an apartment built right next to a graveyard. And a family makes a chilling discovery while on a road trip to Valdez. So the whole family comes over and we're all looking at it, you know, we poke it with a stick. Turn it over. And then my, my father, being the decision maker there, he's, he says, you know, let's, uh, let's just go. <laughs> it's our first ever Halloween special, up next on Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. I'm Rob Prince. To those of you who might be listening to this episode with little ones, I want to let you know that today's episode is creepy, but spoiler alert, no one gets hurt. So if you don't want to shell out for a nightlight, now might be a good time to hand your kid a smartphone and get them playing Candy Crush for the next 30 minutes. Or as they say, listener discretion is advised, whatever that actually means. Before we get to our storytellers, I'd like to kick off today's Halloween episode with a spooky experience I had at work back in November of 2014. It was a Friday afternoon and things were quiet in the journalism department at UAF. There weren't too many people around, just me and my colleague Brian O'Donohue left slaving away on a Friday afternoon when everyone else had called it quits. There's a solid chance I was just sitting at my desk watching YouTube. I don't remember exactly, but what I do remember is the sound of muffled screams coming from down the hallway. At first I thought maybe someone's loudly watching a movie or playing something in class. But the screams continued, and they weren't like anything that you would hear in a movie. Soon it became clear that I needed to investigate, but I didn't want to investigate alone. <laughs> so I walked over to my colleague Brian's office and I said, do you hear that screaming? Turns out that he heard it too. And so the two of us, against our better judgment, began searching for the origin of these terrifying sounds. You know how when you're watching horror movies and the people inevitably start walking toward the terrible noise and you're thinking, how can you be so dumb? And I can tell you when it happens in real life, there's an instinct to figure out what that noise is too, rather than just call the police on someone who's maybe watching a movie. Still, I did have a feeling that Brian and I might be in the process of walking to our deaths. As we walked down the hallway, we could hear the screams getting closer, but it was still hard to tell exactly where they were coming from. It sounded like they had to be coming from one of the classrooms, but none of the doors have windows, so there was no way to tell what was going on in the classroom without opening the door. Finally, it became clear where the screams were coming from, and we prepared to open the door, with no idea what sort of horrors might be waiting for us on the other side. With great trepidation, I grabbed the handle of the door and pulled it open. When I saw what was inside, I was stunned. It was a group of students doing their homework. Well, I don't really know if it was homework, but they were recording a radio version of some sort of zombie apocalypse story, and so all the scream was just screaming from the radio show. It's the kind of thing that some people might think to maybe put a sign up on the door or go around and let people in the offices nearby know what's going on, but these are students, and I was just glad to see them doing something creative. 
the fall of 2017, Susan, which, by the way, is not her real name, was in a rush to find a new apartment in Juneau, Alaska. Her adult daughter had just returned from service in Afghanistan, where she had been injured and was suffering from psychological trauma. Susan was desperate to find a place, any place, to move into quickly so she could help her daughter recover. I spoke with her over the phone about what happened next. We were, it was a last minute um, apartment choice. I didn't have much time. I didn't want, you know, I didn't, we didn't want to be homeless. So I felt like I had to accept this apartment. I, I, had, I had applied for a number of apartments. This was the only one that approved me right away. And we were kind of, I was in a hurry. So I, I, I didn't, um, I just accepted the apartment. You know, I didn't go over there to look at the apartment. Uh, but when we did move in, um, I think it was the next day that I decided to look out of my daughter's bedroom window, and I realized that we were right on top of a graveyard. Of you know, it was part of it was part of the graveyard that had the older headstones from like a hundred years ago. I did not know that the apartment sat right on top of the grave, and so I was a little bit startled, and I. I thought, oh gosh, and this is my daughter's bedroom. <laughs> so yeah, I, that was a bit for me. That was a bit unnerving because I wasn't expecting that. What was sort of the first sign that something wasn't right about this place? Um, well, I, I, I walked into my daughter's bedroom, and I because I, I I wanted to look out her window again. You know, I mean, it was the only window that faced. Um, looking down toward Douglas Highway, you know, on the other side of the graveyard. And so I went out there to take a look to see, you know, what, what was going on back there. And I came across a drawing. The drawing um, showed three ghostly figures, and they were all peering on the, so the outside of the doorway. And the, I don't know, they just looked really, uh, I knew that it was a recent drawing. You know, for, for those three ghostly figures, I thought, okay, this looks really weird. And so it, it kind of creeped me out. It just, you know, it's not something my daughter would draw. But for some reason, she drew it. So, you know, I was a little concerned. I thought, okay, maybe she shouldn't have this bedroom. But I, I didn't want to have my room overlook the graveyard at all. Um and I was a little bit concerned about her because I felt she would be more vulnerable to something, you know, that might be paranormal. So I was a little bit concerned by that because she was very vulnerable at the time. And I thought that the drawing indicated something. She saw something, and so she drew that. And she wasn't in a position, uh, let's say she was, she had an illness, a mental illness. I, I can't say what, but I just felt she was vulnerable and that the drawing was like very paranormal looking. And Did you we talk hadn't been to in her there about it? No, I couldn't. We weren't really communicating. My daughter was very ill. She had come back from Afghanistan. She, you know, there was all kinds of things going on with her. Uh, she had suffered extreme trauma while she was in Afghanistan, so I knew that she was very vulnerable and maybe mentally vulnerable also. And so I was a little bit worried about that, you know, because I heard that, 
you know, some people are very vulnerable to paranormal activity. We hadn't been there too long. I think we were there in there about two weeks. And then the one night when um, it was one, I think one forty-five in the morning, and I had I'd gone to sleep earlier, and something woke me up. So I sat up in bed. It was pitch black downstairs. There was no lights on. There was no lights on anywhere. Um, and but I heard voices uh, upstairs. But it, I was hearing more than one voice. And so I thought I was down there thinking, oh, wow, we have company. And I looked at my clock and it said one, a quarter to 2 a.m. So I thought, okay, maybe I better go up there and see what's going on. And so I opened, I opened my bedroom door and I looked out and I didn't see any lights. There were no lights in my daughter's room. Her door was open. And so I thought, oh, this is really creepy. So I, I kind of got scared. Because I could hear laughing upstairs, but I I could hear more. It was more than one person. I swear it was more than one person. It sounded like a group of maybe two or three people. So I thought, okay, I better go up there. And then I looked upstairs and there were no lights on anywhere. It was pitch black. And I really got scared. I think I I just felt like the uh, adrenaline all of a sudden my heart started pounding and the adrenaline surge was pretty great. And I almost, I almost felt overwhelmed by the adrenaline because I was so scared because I didn't want to walk out there alone and go up the stairs when I, there were no lights on and I didn't recognize the voices and they were, they were still going on up there. I heard laughing, whispering, not talking, but whispering, you know, back and forth whispering, so I I um I I started walking up there. I didn't call out. I was too scared to say anything. So when I got to the top of the stairs, I just I I jumped for the lights and I flipped the switch on. There wasn't a bunch of people in there talking. It was just my daughter. She had been sitting in the dark and she was rocking back and forth in her chair, uh but when I flipped the switch on, she stopped. And she just sat there. She didn't say anything to me at all. I was terrified because I didn't understand um, what on earth, you know, how is it that I'm hearing several voices, not just one person talking, but several, probably, I don't know, two or three. And it makes sense because there were three images in the drawing that my daughter made. There were three figures. So I thought, okay, maybe it's those individuals or not individuals those entities maybe maybe she sees them maybe she's talking to them um so i i ran back downstairs and shut my door because <laughs> that really that was so creepy to me I, you know i didn't there wasn't a response from my daughter she just looked straight ahead like you know she was somewhere else and so i thought okay i'll just leave her alone and go back to my room the next day we just moved out. I didn't, that, that just scared me. Um, and that scared me really badly actually. And so then the very next day without telling my landlord, I think I told him after I left that, you know, I just told him there was an emergency. I didn't tell him what, but we left. I, I found another apartment the next day and moved in there. It was just like a couple blocks away. But I, I left. I didn't want to. I didn't stick around to find out to to find anything else. 
you know, I didn't want to stay. It 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 was it scared me that bad that I left the next day after it happened. Did anything like this happen in your new apartment? No. I, I've never had it happen anywhere, just there in that apartment building above the graveyard. Wow. How is your daughter doing now? She's doing fine now. She ha- she's um she's taking her medication, she's going for treatment, she is uh, back on track and you know, she was injured in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So I um you know, I've been working with her since twenty twelve to m- move her forward into medicine and treatment and things like that. So she's doing better now and she doesn't remember that incident at all. Wow. What what do you What's your theory about what happened? Well, I, you know, I, I, I kind of believe it was paranormal because I've had paranormal experiences before. You know, I've, I've had a couple of them as a, as, as a very small child. I know there's a good possibility that it's real. You know, sometimes you just have encounters that you can't explain. And so I just leave it that way. I don't dwell on it. I just say, okay, that happened. I'm just going to move on now. I don't want to think about it anymore. Can you can you tell me a little bit about what happened when you were a kid? Was that in Alaska too? Um, it was in Alaska. Um, my grandmother, and this was a long time ago, she adopted my brother and I. He was a year younger than me, and but she had to go to work, and they didn't. She didn't have daycare at the time. And I think we were small enough that, you know, she could keep us in these the cribs and we would stay in there. And I remember I woke up, it was, I think I had a nap. I woke up and there was just a bunch of figures floating around. There must have been like a whole room full, maybe 20. And, you know, some were standing, some were walking, some were sitting. And you could they were kind of opaque. And, you know, I was a little tiny, tiny little girl, maybe one, I think. But I, but there, it's so vivid in my mind. I, you know, I remember it even now to this day. And to me, being a little girl like that, I just accepted it. I wasn't scared. Um, they didn't look threatening, but they, they were just floating around. Um, but they, they, I mean, they represented people. They looked like people, uh, but they just weren't talking and it was, it was just a whole room full of them. And so I thought, oh, okay, maybe these are our guardian angels. You know, maybe they're here to protect us because we're, you know, little tiny kids, you know. So I wasn't scared. I just accepted it. But I remember it. I, I never forgot it, even to this day. I can still, you know, it's a, something that I'll always remember. And, and this went on all day. They were there from morning until our grandmother got home from work in the in the afternoon. Wow. And when you say floating, they were, they were like just regular people but they weren't touching the ground or what how did they float? Well, yeah, they yeah, they they um they didn't walk like people. It's like they were they just when they when they moved around, they they floated. They they didn't walk like I mean, there weren't any steps. They didn't look solid. They they just didn't look like people. I mean, they, they, I don't know, ghostly figures maybe because they were kind of opaque and there wasn't any distinguishable, you know, um, facial features or clothing or anything like that. 
they just look like white kind of opaque entities. They didn't talk. They were very, they were silent. They were communicating with each other, just not with us. It's interesting to me how comforting it seemed to you, though. This wasn't scary. No, it wasn't scary at all. I think maybe because I was a little tiny little girl, and um, mm -hmm. I didn't know what threats were. I didn't know what, you know, it, they just seemed peaceful. They weren't threatening. You know, they weren't trying to scare me or my brother. They weren't doing anything to us. You know, I, I think about it a lot even now and wonder what those were. Why were they there? Um, and I, I, I guess my explanation growing up was that they were some kind of angels or guardian angels uh, because we were tiny, tiny little kids. Uh, maybe they were there to protect us. I don't know. But I do know they were there, and I can still... I still can visualize them in my mind. I can see the room now. It's like I'm there. I remember everything that went on in that room to this day. And that's one thing that I'll never forget, ever. I'd rather remain anonymous. I think if I if I come out with this, you know, because I haven't told anyone, you're the, you know what? You are the very first person that I've ever told, uh, because uh, you know you're you're afraid that people might think you're crazy, and um, you know. So I I just don't want anybody to know who I am because I don't know people are weird. This is Dark Winter Nights: True Stories from Alaska, the Halloween special. I'm Rob Prince. Got a true story from Alaska you'd like to share with us or miss an episode and want to get caught up? You can submit your stories and listen to every episode of Dark Winter Nights we've ever made all over at darkwinternights.com. Remember how I told you in the last episode to pencil in the next Dark Winter Nights live event for November 20th? Well, you can erase that now. Thanks to bad COVID numbers in Alaska and other related factors, we've decided to postpone that event for a few months. You can stay in the loop on when that next event will be by subscribing to our newsletter at darkwinternights.com. Our next storyteller was selected to come on stage and tell his story off the cuff and without any warning at our March 2019 live event in Fairbanks. At all of our live events, we ask our audience members to put their names in a hat if they have a story they'd like to share that night. And lucky for all of us, Bobby Burgess was the one we picked that evening. His story takes place back when he was 12 years old and he and his family were taking a summer road trip down to Valdez with his aunt, uncle, and cousins who were up here from California. Here's Bobby. On the way down, you know, we're heading all the way to Valdez, but we're taking it easy. Uh, so we, we stop in, uh, in Delta, right, for lunch on the first day. Um, and that's where we found the object of the story here. So we, uh, we're, we have lunch, you know, and 
Cameron, my the oldest cousin, he's like a year or two younger than me, something like that. And we, we decide we're going to go on a little stroll. We finished our lunch before everyone else. So we're walking by the split rail fence and the campground there. And uh, Cameron's kind of running up ahead of me. And all of a sudden, I see him pause. He's looking over the fence, and he says, it's a hand. A hand. So this is the story of the Delta hand. <laughs> so of course, you know, we all come running over. I'm the next one to get there because I was right behind him. And I look over the fence, and sure enough, there's what looks like a hand just sitting there. It looked like it was missing the top knuckles. You know, and it was just, it was old. It had been around for a while. Looked like, you know, the skin was nearly translucent. Very disturbing. <laughs> so the whole family comes over, and we're all looking at it, you know, we poke it with a stick. <laughs> Turn it over, you know. And then, uh, and then my, my father, being the decision maker there, he's, he says, you know, let's, uh, let's just go. <laughs> so, so we head out, you know, after lunch, we pack up everything and we head down the road and, and we get down the road to the next campground, wherever it was, you know, I wasn't paying attention and set up camp and everything. And then around the campfire that night, my dad tells a story, a scary story about the Delta hand. <laughs> and so this is how it went the first night, you know, he's, uh, the story goes, you know, we got, we saw the hand, we did all the stuff, poked it with stick. Then everybody gets in the car, you know, gears all packed up. And what we didn't notice, of course, is that the Delta hand sprung into life. <laughs> and it came climbing, you know, whatever, scurrying, <laughs> scurrying after us. And it leapt up and grabbed onto the bumper of the minivan. <laughs> the Toyota Previa. So, so we, uh, you know, so that's the story that gets told, and, and, uh, and you know, that's, that's kind of where it ended that night. Uh, the next night, further on down the road, uh, campfire again, and, and my cousin Ryland, the middle, the middle of the three boys, he, he nearly fell in the fire. I don't know exactly how it happened. He claimed he was pushed, you know. This is, by the way, back to real life. Um, and, uh, and, you know, of course, nobody pushed him, right? Nobody admitted to pushing him. Um, but, uh, but from then on that night, you know, we called him Rye Crisp. He was a little toasty. Uh, so, uh, so the story that night became, you know, well, the hand scurried after the, the van, it grabbed onto the bumper, waited until we were at the next campground, and then, and then when, uh, when we were hanging out around the fire, it tried to push Ryland into the fire, <laughs> right? So the story is evolving as the trip moves on. We get further down the road, we stop at a campground, you know, um, there were some rangers there, I don't know where it was, told us all about bear safety and everything, and of course the whole time we're all thinking, well, what about hand safety? <laughs> <laughs> so this, uh, you know, it was, it was a harrowing adventure, you guys, I mean, we're just, I was, I was 12, right? This hand was real in my mind. Um, so we, uh, <laughs> we move on further down, and you know, this, these Alaskan roads come back into play, right? They're, they're, they're used to these nice California roads, right? Nice and smooth. 
And so when they're on road trips, you know, one of the things they would do to save time would be to not pull over for the pit stop, but instead you just use a cup, <laughs> right? Some of you have anticipated. <laughs> so Stuart, my youngest cousin, is, you know, using a cup to avoid the pit stop. And, uh, and we hit a pothole. So, so spilled, you know, the cup on the seat. And uh, Stuart was like, Ryland pushed me, you know. No, 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 nobody pushed him. We just hit a bump. But he was convinced that somebody else was to blame. It wasn't his fault. Of course, you know, he's a kid. He was about five. And so, uh, so then that, that night around the campfire, the story became... Hand scurries, grabs the back of the bumper. First night, it pushes Ryland into the fire, tries to. Next night, it, it knocks the cup out of Stuart's hand. <laughs> right. So this, this, this hand is full of mischief. <laughs> Next night, my sister, you know, she woke up in the middle of the night gasping, like she was struggling to breathe. She was having a, a dream. So, of course, that got wrapped in the story. The hand, you know, she woke up with it around her throat. <laughs> You know, so this, this hand, it's getting more and more intense. This hand is just, you know, at first it's innocent tricks. It's getting more malicious. And we get down, we do our fishing and whatever else. We're heading back up, and we're, we're like, it's the last camp spot uh, before we head all the way back to Fairbanks. And strangely, this never happens, but I was the first one up in the morning that night. And I walk out of my tent, and the, there's this lone wolf just walking through camp. One of the coolest things I've ever seen in Alaska. Um, just, you know, just, just me and this wolf, and it looks over at me just for a second before running off. Really kind of a scary, you know, moment for me, but also pretty cool. The next night, you know, after I tell that story to everyone and they wake up, the next night the story becomes, you know, the hand scurries out of, out of the bushes after the car grabs onto the bumper. That night it pushes Ryland in the fire. Later on, it, uh, it knocks the cup out of Stuart's hand, then it tries to choke Christine in her sleep. And then I woke up when Christine was getting choked in her sleep and I wrestled the hand off of her throat and, and, and you know, got it out of the tent. It was a surprisingly strong hand. Um, <laughs> And I go out just in time to see this wolf, and I throw the hand to the wolf, and the wolf leaps up and catches it, right? <laughs> catches the hand, and it runs off into the bushes, wrestling, you know, the hand is fighting with the wolf, the wolf is fighting with the hand, it's very dramatic. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the last anyone ever saw of the Delta hand. <laughs> now, quick, quick note, quick note. It, it probably was not actually a human hand. Um, if you've ever seen uh, a bear hand, uh, the bear paw that's mostly decomposed, it looks a lot like that. And so, so just in case anyone was wondering why we didn't go to the police, my father's a biologist, it's all good. <laughs> Bobby Burgess, he told that story at our March 2019 live event in Fairbanks. When the shadows of the evening creep across the sky And your mommy comes upstairs to sing a lullaby Tell her that the bogeyman no longer frightens you Uncle Henry's very kindly told you what to do Hush, 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 here comes the bogeyman Don't let him come too close to you, he'll catch you if he can Just pretend
Today's episode was edited by myself, Rob Prince. Sound recording for Bobby's Story by Alaska Universal Productions. Story consultation by Lori Neufeld. Thanks to high COVID numbers in Alaska right now, we've opted to delay our November live event by a few months. When we have a new date nailed down, we'll let you know. You can stay in the loop by subscribing to our newsletter at darkwinternights.com. Remember, these are the stories we tell here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. Here's one way to catch him without fail. Just keep a little salt with you and